Imagine being so good at something that you're taking part in an international competition with some of the very best people at that thing. And then imagine that you were good enough at two different things to take part in two different international competitions, and all while you were still a teenager. That's our guest today. I'm David Jays, and this is Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. I'm about to speak to Hannah Martin, a young ballet dancer who's just won a medal in the RAD's flagship event, the Margot Fontaine International Ballet Competition. That's not too shabby. But before that, she was a top-flight gymnast, the youngest person in the England team at the 2018 Commonwealth Games when she was just 15. That's really not shabby. I can't wait to hear about the similarities and differences. Is gymnastics just dancing but on parallel bars? Is ballet just gymnastics but with a sense of story? How does competition help you sharpen your game? Or does it get in the way? Hannah is just 19 but has already done so much. I hope I can keep up. Hannah, welcome to Why Dance Matters. Thank you so much. Honoured to be here. (laughs) It is a pleasure. And there is lots to talk about. But first, congratulations. Bronze medal at the Margot Fontaine International Ballet Competition. Yeah, Hurrah! Th- thank and- you, thank you. I can't <laughs> believe it. I'm still having to pinch myself because honestly, I was not expecting it. Even to get through to the finals was a massive achievement. Above all, how was it to take part in an online final? That must have felt like a quite unique experience. It definitely was strange, especially when it came to the finals. We had submitted all of our work in quite a few weeks before and when the finals actually aired it was the weirdest sensation because all this work we had already submitted and getting to watch everyone's solos after a bit of time like usually when you're at a competition it's very intense there's a lot of emotions going on but to actually have that self-reflection a few weeks later I think actually helped in some ways because you're not all kind of drawn up in the emotions and adrenaline of the competition you can actually watch it and enjoy definitely gave a very different experience to competitiveness as I normally know it because I've done quite a few competitions in my time and I suppose you had no idea what anyone else was doing you couldn't think okay I've got to do better than her as you can march on stage (laughs) because who knows what everyone else was up to That was very true. Actually, for me, I think that worked in my favour because I need to stay in my own lane, in my own zone. And that's when I get my best results. If you keep thinking about what if they're doing this or if they're doing that, if that's happening or maybe I should be doing this, then you kind of get focused off your own sense of self and it can throw you off track. That's really lovely. But do you miss an audience? Does that, or is that a kind of almost distracting energy? From oh no, we miss the audience. I'm sure every right. candidate can say that. It was very unfortunate that we couldn't have an audience to watch us because it does give you that sense of excitement and adrenaline. And, you know, you can't replicate that through a camera, that sense yeah. of excitement when you see an audience and you can connect with them. 
because for me it's all about telling a story and connecting with the person who's sitting in that seat and we didn't get the chance to do that but we tried our best through the video. And in another conversation in this series we were talking to Ashley Page who of course was the commissioned choreographer for the Fontaine and was coaching you all in solos he created he said that from his point of view that was quite an unusual experience to have all of you there all of you learning the same material how was that for you? That was probably the part of the process I was most nervous about because picking up choreography already is a difficult task in a short amount of time we only had a week and a half about two weeks to perfect it and doing it over zoom is a whole new challenge so I do remember that first zoom lesson we had I was like wow this is going to be a little bit tougher than expected but Ashley was incredible I really really enjoyed the process of learning it and almost the zoom element made it more of a challenge and I'm always up for a challenge so it was (laughs) different but I enjoyed it because I also had lots of time in the studio to go over it I'd come away from the zoom class we'd have and I'd spend four hours just trying to figure out the steps the musicality going over all the notes that he gave us he was very specific with the arms and the way he wanted the steps to go with the music so even when I went home I was actually packing to come here to Birmingham so I was trying to pack boxes while you know still getting these videos ready and I would listen to the music over and over and over again while I'm packing the boxes I would watch the videos and make sure that each step was exactly how he wanted it process but I actually really enjoyed it even more than I thought. And I guess the fact that you weren't in a studio with loads of other candidates it was the whole process was just you meant that there was no limit to how hard you could work how how obsessively you could go (laughs) over things how much you could throw yourself into it yes definitely I think the only thing is is being in the studio it definitely helps to pick up the moves because you can see someone else doing one of the movements and think oh I really like the way she's doing that and implement that into your own performance so that is something I definitely missed I I wanted to see others doing it more but on Zoom we did get that opportunity you know we went one by one and Ashley watched us and I took that time to sometimes watch some of the other candidates to see the little nuances that they added to their performance and that also helped to enhance mine a really good perspective to have on it is not watching them in a competitive way but watching them wow I love what they're doing how can I incorporate that into my own artistry and the Fontaine competition has always been as much about the learning as the winning I think it's always placed a real emphasis on the coaching on the experience as we've said of working with a a choreographer and you had coaching sessions with Celine Gittens who is leading ballerina with Birmingham Royal Ballet. She's been a guest on this podcast, amazing dancer. How much did you learn from her? I can tell you I had three pages full of notes like after that (laughs) session. It was really, really good. I learned so much from beginning to end. It was only half an hour session, but by the end I was dripping in sweat. We did not stop. And she was so thorough with every single step. She was talking about which muscles to engage. She wasn't just like, oh, you need to do this better. She was like, no, engage this muscle so that you can feel the movement more. I was thinking about her comments. We had that at the very beginning of the process, but I was thinking about her comments right up till the final submissions. So they really stuck with me. 
Oh, wow. That's fantastic. I, when she was talking to us, I got the sense that she was a natural teacher. And what you're saying suggests that that's exactly Definitely, right. Definitely. 100%. Because there is that thing about being a dancer. You want people to treat you respectfully and, and properly. But it's not a severe comment or a difficult comment that's a difficult thing. The, the horrible thing is not getting any feedback at all. Is that sense of not being seen. That is so true. I always remember talking to my mum and being like, oh my goodness, I got a correction today in class. It's amazing. You know, like <laughs> actually getting corrections is a really great thing because that's when you know that the teacher is actually invested in you and invested in seeing yeah. you succeed. So actually taking criticism as a good thing is something I've really learned. Whereas when you're younger, you're kind of like, oh, they told me off again. And it's like, no, <laughs> actually you need to you need to see it as wow, this is amazing because this teacher believes that I can go all the way and they're taking the time. When there's so many other girls they could be correcting, they're correcting me. Corrections are always so beneficial. And even now in company class, whenever I get a correction, I'm thinking about that correction the whole class. I think I'm right that dance was your first love but how did gymnastics enter the picture my mum was a dancer so I was kind of in her productions from the very start she was definitely the inspiration you know she was back flipping with me in her stomach so I was (laughs) I was dancing since I was you know not even born yet my dad's an author as well so all of that very artistic family and then I grew up grew older i took classes at the RED, really, really enjoyed those and wanted to go further with the dance, but wasn't actually seeing much of an avenue at that time. And that's Mm. when the gymnastics came in. I went and watched the London 2012 Olympics with my mum. I was so inspired. And my mum used to be a rhythmic gymnast. And one day she thought, oh, I'll just take Hannah along to a rhythmic gymnastics club with a friend of hers from the good old days. And I really enjoyed it. I think because I was so flexible, it gave me an outlet for my flexibility. Whereas I had been doing artistic gymnastics. So, you know, the one with the vault and the bars and the beam. I started with that when I was six. And I just would bend in half when I tried to flip or anything. It just wasn't, it wasn't happening. So when I came to (laughs) Rhythmic, I was like, wow, they actually appreciate the fact that I can bend in half. Not frown upon it almost from there I you know started I just did it kind of once a month almost for a while when I was eight I did a few competitions couldn't say that I did that well if I'm honest with you Um, (laughs) and it was about I think it was 10 or 11 I turned to my mum and I was like mum I want to compete at the British championships my mum was like well you're gonna have to listen to me then um, at the time she was my coach so um (laughs) then I was like okay okay I see how this is gonna work now okay so (laughs) from that point onwards my mindset changed and I knew that I really wanted to go full out with this as I do with anything if I'm gonna go for it I've got to put everything into it and so I was still doing ballet alongside my training because my mum always said it was very important I keep up my vocational grades in RED I was doing my normal grades in RED I was doing some additional advanced classes you need to be doing ballet training really as a rhythmic gymnast because it gives you the sense of grace and the tone and strength and the turnout 
you know, we'd go to national squads and we'd do two hours of ballet in our eight hour training day. Ballet was always an integral part throughout the whole journey, really. I've seen videos of some of your rhythmic routines with the ball and it's basically a duet isn't it it's a duet with a shiny blue ball it, yeah it really is it was my prince before prince charming k you know <laughs> <laughs> so uh always good to have a trainer prince Prince. on lake when you have a ball you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and it was funny because once i put my head to it and decided this is really what i want to do i had many people say that it would be impossible for me to even qualify for the british championships just because i was at such a lower level and i had started a lot later than the girls who would normally compete I ended up the next year not just qualifying, but actually winning the championship uh, in my age group, which was a massive shock to, I think, everyone, including myself. (laughs) That was like the first dream come true, if it were. It really showed me that if you put your mind to something, anything is possible. I know it sounds cliche, but even when people say it's not, which many people said to my face... Um, oh, really? <laughs> it definitely is possible. And if you just keep putting your mind to it and using the resources that you have at hand, similar to how we've had to do in this pandemic, me and my mum didn't necessarily have the resources at hand at the time. For rhythmic gymnastics, you need high ceilings. We didn't really have high ceilings because right. obviously you throw the apparatus and you need correct flooring like the carpet. And we, we just had dance studios, which for rhythmic gymnastics isn't the exact flooring that you need. But you use what you have and then you go for it. (laughs) I have heard, and I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that it's difficult to keep the artistry sometimes in gymnastics because there are so many technical requirements that you have to hit in what is a relatively short routine that it's almost that there isn't excess time and energy to expend on something that isn't going to get you a mark. That may not be so much in rhythmic gymnastics, but is it? a bit of a concern I mean certainly in artistic I can see because the flips that they do are insane but definitely in rhythmic <laughs> since the new basically every four years they update the code of points so actually it generally gets harder every Olympic cycle but right. as the more recent Olympic cycles have come in the artistry has been more difficult to uphold because of the amount of difficulty in the routines has gone up and up and up and up. So it's harder to really express yourself because you're like, oh my goodness, I'm doing about 20 different throws and you're just trying to fit so much into your routine. I mean, the very top in the world do it excellently and it's a piece of art. It really is. But I definitely found that as I went more and more elite, the artistry was more difficult to enjoy I felt like it was still there but it was more difficult to enjoy because there was so many other things to think about every single point mattered and you know if you have one toe out of place or you step out one step for a throw that's a 0.3 out the door you know every single thing is so important in rhythmic gymnastics routines you are required to have dance steps I even hear in the new Olympic cycle I'm not 100% sure if this is correct but I think you have to have two sets of eight seconds of uninterrupted dance steps so it is it's actually an important part of the routine but sometimes it can get swallowed up by just what is going on with the apparatus (laughs)
And as you say, you started winning things. You progressed really quickly. So by 2018, you were the youngest person in the England team in the Commonwealth Games in Australia. That must have been quite a heady experience. Uh, yeah, 15 years old feels like a long time ago now. But um, <laughs> I actually, the year before the Commonwealth Games had taken a year out due to family circumstances. And I had actually focused full time on ballet because mm-hmm. that was obviously my other passion. And I gave that year to doing ballet and dance full time. But then I saw the Commonwealth Games on the horizon and I was like, man, this is just a dream. I can't seem to shut out. Like I have to give it a go. And so once again, it was one of those things that everyone thought it would be impossible for me to qualify just because I'd taken that year out and there was a lot of competition and the trials were very, very soon because you have to go through a whole trial period before you even get sent. So there's plenty of competition right here in the UK before you even start going overseas. And just on the last trial event, I managed to squeeze my way onto the team. So even qualifying felt like an absolute miracle. And then when I went to Australia, I promised myself, because I'm one of those people who can get quite stressed. (laughs) So I promised myself (laughs) that I would just go and I would enjoy every second of the experience because going halfway across the world to compete for your country is really a once in a lifetime experience. It was overwhelming, but I went with the intent that I was going to soak up every second. And because I was the youngest, there wasn't loads of pressure. My coaches didn't put loads of pressure on me. They were like, just go out there and live your dream, which I definitely did. And it was shocking to even come out as the top England girl after everything that had happened before. It was incredible. And to do the ball final as well, such a privilege because obviously it's the best in the whole Commonwealth. So even to be alongside them, let alone competing against them in finals, was amazing. And I guess you were also meeting people from completely different sports across the board. Did you get a sense, is there something that connects competitive athletes at that level? Do you all have a certain something in common? Oh, definitely. I mean, that was one of the highlights. I I met Dina Asher-Smith and Johnson Thompson was walking around, you know. I was very upset that um, (laughs) Bolt had retired by that point because I wanted to get a photo with him, but he wasn't there. Um, (laughs) There was definitely a sense of community and you would walk into the Team England headquarters and we were actually staying with the artistic gymnastics team as well. So there was always a sense of we went and supported some of the other sports having never done a games before that was an element that I felt helped me thrive because there was such a sense of atmosphere of team spirit you would literally go into the team headquarters and there'd be loads of different athletes around and you might recognize some there was just a sense of let's do this let's support each other you would watch each other on the screens and be like shouting and screaming to support them it was a very special time an atmosphere. That's all I can really describe it as. It was just an atmosphere of, wow, we're here. We're in Australia, the other side of the world, especially for the people from Team England. That was the sense. And uh, yeah. I definitely liked the the smoothie bar there. There was a smoothie bar. <laughs> you, could, you could go to the smoothie bar and everything was free, okay? 24-hour dining. This was great. And you could tell them exactly what you wanted in the smoothie and then they would just blend it up for you and give it to you. I mean, this... 
24 hour free food was yeah this has just ruined you for life hasn't it it was so good it was so good i don't i don't know if anything can quite top it actually I had no idea, you see, that the smoothies were the best thing. This is good to know. This is the inside information. Oh, they had the food hall, I have to say. Like, there was all the cuisines. It was really good. At the Olympics this year, um, the Tokyo Olympics, the big story in gymnastics you all know this, was Simone Biles, who withdrew from several events because she said she needed to look after her mental health. And though obviously the pressure that's on her is ridiculous and very few other athletes experience that, did you get a sense of fellow feeling with what she meant there? Oh yeah, 100%. The mental side of sport is really difficult. And Obviously, for Simone, it's on a very public display. But I think a lot of athletes go through the same thing. We just don't see it because it's not whipped out all over social media and the news. It's something that I think each athlete has to work through themselves. You have to kind of find some coping mechanisms for things like some things can't be explained when you have a bad competition that you've worked so, so, so hard for and it goes wrong there's nothing you can do about it and that can be very difficult to take mentally I think the mental side of it is something probably needs to be talked about a bit more the coaches and that gymnast coach relationship I think really helps if it's a healthy one you'll tend to find that the gymnast feels more supported mentally sport is hard but equally I actually find (laughs) that some of the things I struggled in sport mentally I also struggle in dance you have to apply yourself in similar ways sure and I guess it's a conversation that until fairly recently we've not been good at having I mean if you talk about spraining your ankle or pulling a hamstring everyone says yep that's fine you shouldn't be dancing that go home and rest and that's not end of conversation but it's harder to talk about the stuff that's going on in your head isn't it yes for sure For me, this is probably the case. It's 90% mental and 10% physical when you actually get to a competition because everyone there is capable of doing an incredible routine, but is everyone capable of doing it on the day under the pressure with the lights, with the audience, with the judges? You know, I had to work when I was a gymnast with some great sports psychologists because that's something I had to work on because under the pressure, sometimes I found it difficult. But that's really helped me with ballet now because I've done all that mental preparation from a very young age. You know, I was performing and competing at a high level from 12 years old, that now when I go on for a ballet performance, I feel a lot more under control and I've got mental ways of coping with the pressure. Techniques like visualization and breathing and just different ways that you you have to almost self, self-talk self to yourself throughout those difficult yeah. situations. But it's not just the competitions, obviously. The competitions are just what people see. I found the hardest bit was the training and the days that no one saw. Yeah. Okay. And actually, the ballet world is looking to the sports world for 
expertise around that, isn't it? about performance psychology, uh, that whole area of experience. So I guess you kind of now entering <laughs> your professional ballet career with perhaps a bit more information than other dancers of a similar age. Yeah, well, I hope so. We'll see. I mean, I haven't performed live in a while because wow. of the pandemic, but of course, I definitely yeah. find that I feel less nervous because I don't have a ribbon in my hand that I could get tangled in most of the time. So that also helps. <laughs> um, and also there's a sense of community when you go on stage with a company as well, especially right now I'm doing a lot of corps de ballet work. If something goes wrong, you've got your pal there and they're going to help you out almost. You Obviously, yes. nothing will go wrong because I'm practicing hard. But when you're <laughs> out there on your own competing as a rhythmic gymnast, if you go wrong, everyone's watching you and you're running after your hoop that's rolling off the floor. It's not a great situation to be in. And unfortunately, yeah. I've been in that situation a few times. <laughs> but in a in a company, there is definitely a sense of you look out for each other a bit. If you see someone struggling with a step, you're going to go and help them. So I find that can help you mentally in a company situation as opposed to the the sport world, which can, especially at the high level, can get extremely lonely at times. I definitely found that when I was competing at my rhythmic gymnastics club, I was mostly the only solo gymnast working because a lot of the people at my club would compete as a group. I was going solo. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, that must be tough. I see that. You're right. On stage, you're not competing to be best swan, are you? It's a very no. different <laughs> sort of energy. A lot of stories, and not always great ones, have emerged from both ballet and gymnastics in recent years, often around how young people are treated, often about bullying and lack of respect and other quite dark things. I don't know if any of that has been part of your experience, but I wonder if having been through training in both disciplines, do you have a sense of what we need to do to prevent that happening for future generations of young gymnasts and dancers? When I think about it from an outside perspective, we're very artistic people and we can get ourselves very much wrapped up in these worlds. And I think that's sometimes yeah. when lines get crossed. Now I look back to the rhythmic world, I see when I was in the midst of it, it was so intense and that felt like everything. And if I didn't do well at that competition, then it would be the end of the world. And now I'm outside, I'm like, well, it actually really didn't matter that I dropped my ball in that competition, but it felt like the end of the world at the time. So I think when you're in the middle of it, it can feel really, really intense. And that's when things can go a little wrong, maybe. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm a psychologist or anything, yeah. but being in both worlds, I've always found when things have got really intense is when things have got tricky and communication breaks down which is the worst thing as a gymnast you're working very close with your coach if that communication gets lost between the two of you then that's when things can get really really hard so I think that's a big thing and having perhaps having a, a life outside of 
just your art, which I, I'm saying this now. <laughs> I think I need to. I'm like thinking, oh, should I do some more Pilates tonight? Or oh, should I go for a run? Like, no. <laughs> well, should I have a life? <laughs> yes, yeah. that's the other option. But <laughs> Well, because you have just, as well as we're talking about doing the Fontaine in this weird pandemic state but of course you've finished your ballet training in under the same similar conditions you've just graduated from Elmhurst and I think you're now joining the company Birmingham Royal Ballet which is fantastic but that must be such a weird moment to be entering the profession. It really was actually when we graduated unfortunately we all had to go home because of a Covid outbreak so just on our very last week we were about to do our summer shows you know it was our last dress rehearsal and the next day we were supposed to have a show and then we all got sent home and it was just the weirdest feeling because we'd all been hyping up for this big event working really really hard towards it and then you know we went home and graduated online which um felt slightly oh, underwhelming weird. but i'm elmhurst did yeah. the most amazing job of trying to make it feel you know momentous because that's what it was it was a momentous occasion we were all going off to different parts of the world different companies it was very odd because i was at home and i was like this should feel like big but i'm just here sipping a diet coke like <laughs> <laughs> Birmingham BRB has got a really full-on interesting season. Are you already in the thick of rehearsing? Yes, we're preparing right now for Romeo and Juliet. So that has been a lot of fun. Um, Cool. Yeah, it's been great. I love the music. See, Romeo and Juliet is actually my favourite ballet. So I was very, very happy when I heard it. That's a good one to start with. I know. I think I'm I'm enjoying (laughs) even just watching everyone (laughs) as much as I'm enjoying (laughs) dancing in it. So, yeah, no, it's been great. Right in the thick of rehearsals at the moment. We start in, I think, our first shows the beginning of October. So coming up fast. Fantastic. (laughs) Hannah, we've covered a lot of ground and there is so much more we could talk about, but I'm conscious of letting you have an actual life. (laughs) So I'm going to stop. But I must ask one last question before I go, which is, why does dance matter to you? I think... For me, more than anything, it's a way I can express myself. I am quite an open person. I need an outlet to express my emotions and my feelings. And dance has always given me that opportunity. I actually remember one occasion when I was not having a great day. This was in my rhythmic gymnastics days. I was preparing for a competition and circumstances were not great at the time. And I was about to have to get up on the stage and do my routines and pretend like everything was fine and dandy. (laughs) There was a spare studio and I just walked in and I was like, boy, I just need to shift my head just to spinning right now with so many things and I need to get it centered again. And I remember putting on Moonlight Sonata and just dancing freely to it for a good 15, 20 minutes. And then after that, I felt like everything that was inside had just been released. And I actually did one of the best competitions of my life. So I really found that dance is that outlet. Dance is a way that you can express yourself without words. Because sometimes you you stand there and you don't even know there's nothing you can say or do. You just have to let it all out through the movement. 
and that is something I kind of live my life by. I definitely want to put it into choreography one day as well, hopefully. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, please. Oh, Hannah, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the Fontaine medal. Congratulations on the new season at Birmingham Royal Ballet. And thank you so much for being our guest on Why Dance Matters. Thank you so much for having me. Hannah really has her head screwed on. I wish I'd been that focused at 19 and had achieved even a fraction of what she's done. But more than medals, there's an impressive maturity about looking what you've already done and knowing there's still more work to do. She's in it for the long haul. You can find out more about The Fontaine and see Hannah's video diary about the process in our show notes. And please do subscribe and like the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Our guest today was Hannah Martin. Why Dance Matters is made with the RAD team of Celia Moran, Melanie Murphy and Charlie Strachan. Our artwork is by Bex Glendinning and our producer is Sarah Miles who always gets a perfect score from us. I'm David Jays. Take care and see you soon.